But I, I think a lot of these services want to be everything for everyone, but the best ones are the ones that focus. That's like a restaurant. If you show up and there's a massive menu versus something that has like five items, I think that you have variable expectations of quality. Mm-hmm. Exactly. There's a food cart around the corner from here in my studio and it's a crepery. Uh, and they make the best darn crepes ever because they only offer one kind. <laughs> yeah. There you go. <laughs> There's only one kind. <laughs> what in the gluten-free, nut-free, vegan, vegetarian, and you know, crazy culinary world is going on at that crepery? <laughs> Strawberry, Nutella, whipped cream, gluten-free. That's phenomenal. Oh my god, that sounds amazing. If you're gonna do one, great flavor choice. Welcome to Tooltip Time. Gabriel, do you want to start us off? Welcome to Tooltip Time, the podcast that helps you find the right tools 10 times faster. I'm Gabriel Wathig. And I am Jude Brewer. And I'm Yujan Zulu. And today we're going to wrap up the podcast for the season. How exciting. Woohoo! <laughs> and we have a special guest today, the founder of Tooltip Time. Our executive producer. Executive producer. Gabriel, I cannot even pronounce your last name. Botelho. Okay. <laughs> so we have a very special guest today, Gabriel Botelho, right? Maybe? Yep, exactly. Okay. Pronouncing last names is not my forte. Thank God I'm into podcasting. <laughs> but that being said, Gabriel, how did we get here? Kind of like an interesting process. We met through the mailing list, right? What's it called again? I belong to so many, but I assume this is like the New York Public Radio <laughs> <laughs> podcasting yes. list. You have your company, Tooltip, yes. and you decided that you wanted to do some branded content. Yeah, exactly. You know, I reached out because I thought that podcasts were a good natural medium to help spread the word about the company and the tool simplification mission that we were on. And you guys replied to the email. It was kind of one of these, like, you throw a stone into the internet and see what happens. And I'm really glad that it worked out. And obviously there were 500 other people who applied who were super qualified and you just saw our two names and you were just like, these people seem like the coolest people since sliced bread. And that's also why we got the job for sure. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. It seems to me like you were like, as long as I have one qualified person, it's me, John, to balance out the unqualified person, Jude, over here, then it'll make a good team. (laughs) There were indeed many, many qualified people who wrote back. I didn't quite read just from your intro emails. I did have a conversation with everybody, but I remember that the two of you came off as particularly personable and interested in the project. And you had like an excitement about you when you were talking about tools, which is usually what I look for when people are contributing content to the site. Oh my God. Thank you. I'm glad the excitement mattered. You didn't realize how much dread you were also going to cause us with some of these tools. <laughs> okay, and I shouldn't say that. And I'm not bad mouth any of the tools. It's just yeah. obviously sometimes you don't realize the learning curve with some of them mm. and you don't even realize how much hair pulling can be involved when trying to figure out a tool. A hundred percent. And the frustration and the learning curve. Yeah. I think about this stuff a lot and this is part of why I started the site. These things really kind of like shape our day-to-day reality if you're going to spend eight hours doing something. And I really love that when you approached us about the project, one of the questions that you asked us was to really think about all the different perspectives of each person that might be wanting to use these tools. Is that something that's typically done with other tools that you're investigating at Tooltip Time? Yeah, I think that that's a big part of the research process. Every case actually has its own specific type of tool. There are a bunch of different tools, not because necessarily everybody is competing in the same space but often because companies are providing services for differentiated niches of customers that do need 
particular features or X change to widget Y kind of things. So you need to know that there are different customers to really appreciate why it is that people are building these things different ways and why some things succeed at some things and fail at others. Well said. Yeah. Now, I think we wanted to talk a little bit about the methodology, correct? Yeah. I was hoping that you guys could maybe elucidate for the listeners a bit about how you went about testing these tools and how you divided and conquered and like what the comparison process was like. Did you do any tracking? So on and so forth, just so that they have a more robust sense of, hey, you know, these people really kind of kick the tires on these bad boys. Here's the thing. Mijan and I got together right away and we're like, okay, cool. Let's just bust this out and let's at least get all of our signups together. And we knew right away at the beginning, Mm -hmm. we were also going to contact support at that initial signup period just to see what is the response time from support. That was a very Mm -hmm. early on idea of ours that we were like, that'd be kind of neat to try to see who's the quickest response time, who's the slowest, who knows, might have some hilarious results or some very illuminating ones. But I think what allowed us to figure out the episode structure and also what was the most efficient way to test all of these without essentially the testing period being far longer and more complicated than it could be, I would attest that to Mijan's organization and we were doing this Google list form. Could you kind of explain that a little bit, Mijan? We kind of went through it in terms of thinking about like, what are the pain points that we find ourselves when we're using these tools? So like how easy it is to use, how easy it is to sign up. Obviously, we wanted to know how soon you would hear back from people. And then once you get into it, you have to really think of what is each actual service trying to promise that they're going to give you. And I think that that was a really big question that we were trying to solve because a lot of times when you're first getting into podcasting, you see all these different tools and you're told that you can do certain things on them, but you're not always sure what they are. So anytime that a podcast promised that they were going to do something, we tried to add that to our tracking sheet. Was there video recording? Can you record remotely? Sometimes they promise that they have transcription options. So we wanted to try and test as many of those as possible so that even if we're looking at tools that do different things, we can at the end of the day comparatively say, okay, this podcast tool promised us such and such, and either we were able to do it or we were not. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. 100%. Yeah. And then also too, what guided us you know, through that was a list of criteria that Gabriel, you wanted us to be looking at. Mm-hmm. So we did base our questions off of the language you had provided And then from there, just brainstorm over a couple sessions in terms of what that was going to look like. So when it came to actually recording the first episode, we did know every episode was going to be produced using that tool somehow, Mm -hmm. whether or not that was a success or a failure or even just a small element of the episode. Yeah. And so that was also to, I would say, the success of the method, but also the detriment to it sometimes because some episodes took a lot longer because we were literally troubleshooting stuff in the middle of making the episode. Of course. And that would change our script a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. And I would also add that because Tooltip Time is really trying to make reviews that can speak to various different constituents that are trying to use the tool, we always had to, in each episode, discuss who is it for, who could actually use this tool and make it work. Yeah. So I think I think it was a meeting of three minds, really, that came up with this rubric. <laughs> and it was pretty fun. Yes. Awesome. I'm glad that you, that you guys enjoyed the process. And I'm sure y'all feel like this as well. But it's been very rewarding to get feedback from people on the internet that they've kind of enjoyed what you guys have recorded and kind of the high quality information that you've put out to. I did want to hop in and say thanks for that. Uh, <laughs> Yeah. Have you been getting feedback from people on the internet Uh, about tooltip time? 
Yeah, no, no. I think I sent you guys the the links to the places where I posted it and like on Reddit and stuff like that. People have been replying and like some people really, really like it. One person said that it reminded them of another big how-to podcast podcast. Take a look at the link I sent you in the email. It's all in there. <laughs> no, I was looking at that one. I just wanted a little recap, you know. <laughs> of course, of course, of course. Come on, tell us the truth. Tell me how many people are like complaining and like, remove these guys. <laughs> <laughs> Not yet, but once you guys have like real like blood nemeses on the internet, that's when you know that you've made it, is what I have to say. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, I, I love the pitchforks. I'm excited. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So I think if we've been waiting for anything through this process is, you know, like, so what tools did we look at that stand out and like for whom? Yeah. Yeah. Well, Mijan, you kind of did a handy thing where you tallied up the scores and obviously we wouldn't in any way necessarily want to put one tool at the top and one tool at the bottom and have this ranking system because these scores are determined by a lot of different factors, but this is just sort of a general consensus of what was the group of tools that kind of stayed at the top and what was the group of tools that just kind of seemed like there was a lot lacking and needed some room for improvement. And then what were the ones in the middle that just were still very solid, but you know maybe a little bit of room for improvement. So that's mm-hmm. kind of how we're going to go by this. Yeah. And also keeping in mind that each of these tools do different things. So for example, for editing, we have Descript and Hindenburg, which scored really high. The user experience was very easy. It was very easy to learn. And then Descript is a mix of video editing as well as sound editing software and then also transcription software. It's kind of like this one-stop shop that allows you to collaborate and then also export into Pro Tools or Audition. So it becomes more accessible with like different types of people that want to work on a project. Hindenburg is a little bit closer to your traditional DAW. You can still export into Audition and Pro Tools. And depending on whether or not you wanted to even make an audiobook, this is, again, a software that is a lot more accessible, but it's more expensive than Descript. Like, for instance, Descript, you have to pay for transcription, but everything else is free. We'll talk about who this is better for. But in terms of those two, they were definitely standouts in terms of editing. Mm-hmm. For remote recording, Riverside, Squadcast, Zencaster, they all are great, actually. And they're all trying to do video and audio recording. The only difference is that there's a slight price difference between them. And then also, all these tools are great until they don't work. And then when they don't work, we just use Zoom. <laughs> But all of them are really, really great in terms of getting higher quality video and audio recording. And then lastly, we have Soundtrap, which actually we wouldn't recommend for a podcast recording. But if you wanted to make music for your podcast and you weren't really skilled in GarageBand, Soundtrap is really, really fantastic. And it is trying to honestly be a sort of GarageBand, Pro Tools, you know, tool that you can use to make music. For sure. I mean, with Soundtrap, I would have no problem doing all the music and whatnot for the show and then just exporting that and then using something else entirely, you know, for the recording. And it would serve you just well because it didn't seem like recording was even a huge priority for them in the way they were laid out. Yeah, yeah. It wasn't really for podcasting. But I I think a lot of these services want to be everything for everyone. But the best ones are the ones that focus. Yeah. It's like a restaurant. If you show up and there's a massive menu versus something that has like five items, I think that you have variable expectations of quality. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Mm-hmm. There's a food cart around the corner from here in my studio and it's a crepery uh. and they make the best darn crepes ever because they only offer one kind. <laughs> yeah, there you go. 
There's only one guy. <laughs> what in the gluten-free, nut-free, vegan, vegetarian, and you know, crazy culinary world is going on at that creperie? <laughs> Strawberry, Nutella, whipped cream, gluten-free. That's phenomenal. Oh my god, that sounds amazing. If you're gonna do one, great flavor choice. Yeah. So then that was the top end of the list there. And then the interesting thing too is based on the scores alone, the tools that kind of fell near the bottom of the list, just kind of recapping those what those are, Alidu, Anchor FM, Airtape, and Callcast. I wouldn't necessarily call, I mean, I'm sure we could if we really wanted to say one was the worst of all of them or needs the most work. But I think the main thing was just there was a lot of clunkiness overall Mm -hmm. and features that were missing from these four. And so it was kind of varied. Yeah. And Anchor is really just like your casual podcasters, podcast production tool. It's a much better hosting service than it is anything else. And a lot of my friends that use Anchor, as I said in the podcast, don't actually use Anchor to make their podcast. They just post their podcast on Anchor. And Alidu, I would put around kind of the same score with that because it was lacking when it came to the recording, but it had a really good on the editing front. So I felt it had a strength there, but then it had this weakness in terms of what it was saying that it was offering. Yeah. If you can add your own audio, it's fine. Whereas at the bottom, I, I would say Airtape and Callcast were the ones that were the most frustrating and, and caused a lot of headaches. And I also wonder with some of these services, if anyone's still working on them, because some of them we didn't hear back, and then some of them took a really long time to get back, and some of them asked us to pay before we even tried the service. So I don't know if it's just a failed investment that was supposed to pan out and no one's really been working on those services. I think the people that are investing in podcasting are very responsive, want your feedback, and will get back to you very quickly. Yeah. I think that's fair. And oftentimes things are being maintained for existing customers, you know, where it drips in 300 bucks a month or something. And someone's like, yeah, I'll keep sending two emails a year kind of thing. Exactly. Yeah. Both Callcast and and Airtape, the support didn't seem necessarily visible or that it was really much there. So yeah, I think you're right. I would imagine that there's just not a whole lot of current support. For sure. Yeah. So, you know, I think that that was a great overview of how you guys felt about the field of the tools at large. But I was wondering if we could also boil them down a little bit for the audience and try and frame it into the context of the recommendations that Tooltip has given in its other reports and that usually gives to its clients. I was wondering if maybe you would feel comfortable making like one or two or three tools that you would recommend for like, you know, more of the indie bootstrapper crowd and why you think that these are the right tools for these people to make podcasts. Oh, okay. Specifically for indie bootstrapper. Indie or bootstrapper. I think that that kind of group of like, hey, like I'm a one to two person company or I'm a one person company is actually pretty close. You know, there's a lot of overlap in those. I would say right off the bat, Descript, Riverside or Squadcast. Okay. Those three feel very solid to me in terms Mm -hmm. of, let's say you were producing something for a client, they would be very pleased by it. Mm -hmm. If it was just your own show that you're going to create, I think they're easy to use. They're efficient. And yeah, you're going to get good quality. You won't necessarily have to jump between that program and something else. Those would be my three tools. But then with an aside, also, if you wanted to go really heavy on music, it might be interesting just to also use Soundtrap for the music component Mm -hmm. if you didn't Mm -hmm. have access to sound libraries elsewhere. Uh huh. And a lot of people, when they first get into podcasting, will start off with whatever DAW comes with their computer. When I first started, I was using GarageBand. It's a great way to sort of start to teach yourself to edit things. Yep. I use Audacity personally. Yeah. 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 And Audacity is another free tool, yeah. and Reaper is really great. Whatever tool you want to pick to edit the sound, 
pick one, stick with it for a while so you understand how to use it well so that you can take those learning to your next DAW. Uh -huh. If you just hop around from place to place, you're going to be so confused because you won't remember any of the shortcuts and you don't know where anything is. A hundred percent. But I do agree that if audio editing is something that's very intimidating for you, a program like Descript is really cool because it has a preset for studio quality sound, which helps you clean up the audio that you'll be getting from your recordings. And then you can do a lot of the editing of the podcast by editing the text so that you don't necessarily have to focus on cleaning up every single thing that goes wrong in the podcast. And then there's just enough traditional DAW features so that you can still do crossfades as you're editing. So it's kind of a way to trick yourself into learning how to use a digital audio workstation, which is what a DAW is. I keep using uh -huh. this term, but it's a technical term. Thank you. <laughs> but if you wanted to dive in and kind of like learn the DAW part of it faster, that's why a Hindenburg might work better. But keep in mind, Hindenburg is more expensive. Obviously, it's not insanely expensive. I now pay for it because I love using Hindenburg. But I can understand how if you're really a small business and you don't want to have to pay for your DAW, you can actually use Descript for free as long as you don't use the transcription software. Uh -huh. Yeah. Descript or Riverside, really close, like neck and neck for me. And then very commonly used is Squadcast. There's a lot of shows that use Squadcast mainly just for the recording, and that's what they like it for. And it also depends on whether or not you're, the, you're doing the type of podcast where you have two interviewers that are regularly interviewing each other or whether you're doing a podcast where you're interviewing guests. A lot of these remote recording software um, features are, are only really beneficial if you're having a lot of guests come to your podcast. If you're doing a situation where you're doing your own recording and you can record each other individually, that's the ideal way to do it anyway. If you're not in a studio, obviously. You don't need remote recording software because you're just interviewing each other. You can do Google Meet or Zoom or something that's a free service so that you can see each other and make sure that everything's happening in the right time. But remote recording software is primarily used when you need to interview a lot of people and you're not sure about the quality of their mic setup. Does that make sense? Gotcha. That makes a lot of sense, actually. And I think that that's an excellent thing to highlight because I don't think that it would be intuitive to me as like a you know, startup person who was thinking about setting up their podcast or considering trade-offs between the tools. Yeah. Sometimes people do like review podcasts, right? So let's say you're a startup that works in trading. You might just do a weekly podcast that's like half an hour long where you're discussing the stocks of the week. Yep. That doesn't necessarily need guests besides the people that are there. A hundred percent. That makes a lot of sense. Okay. So I think that that's like a really compelling breakdown of why, you know, indie or bootstrapping small companies might want to choose kind of one of those two or three tools as their main focus. How about for more mid-sized companies? You have like a staff of, let's say, 10 to 100 people and you want to start your podcast. Do you think that the recommendations change at all? I, I would just reemphasize Riverside. I'd probably strongly put Riverside above Descript. Yeah. If you have a, a team of that size, there's probably going to be a lot more changing of hands of the podcast. Yeah. Many more people will be reviewing what's coming out of there. So I do think that when it's that big, you probably will need to make sure that there's a general leveling of the recording quality, which is where I agree at Riverside would come in. The only thing to think about is that when you're a company that size, are you doing all the production for that or are you hiring someone to do it? I think it could go both ways. I think that for some companies, they would hire it out. And I think that mm -hmm. for some, they would want to do it in-house, maybe because they have someone who 
has some kind of experience with a DAW or something like that. You know, mm-hmm. often podcasts start at companies because there's an interested party who's like, hey, like, let's start a podcast for the company. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that in that case, have one person who's going to be in charge of making sure that it sounds good uh-huh. and then figure out if you just want people to listen to rough cuts of the podcast, in which case, you know, they can do cuts and then send them to people for edits or if they need to have a more integrated method, which is where a descript comes in handy because someone can say, oh, I don't like it how you said this, cross out stuff. And then the person who's editing the podcast can just cross that out. Yes. It's like a more seamless editing experience if there's a bunch of hands and feedback. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I would use that for. If that's not the case, then you just hire someone to edit the podcast. You can listen to it and be like, take out this section. That's it. For sure. And, you know, similarly for a large enterprise outfit where there would likely be like a team behind the podcast, do you have any recommendations for what that team of, you know, people should be using for their software? Or is it kind of like, you know, at that point, you're getting paid the big bucks and you're a pro, so do whatever you want. Well, and, and, and also like in the tier below, everyone has different standards for what they want their podcast to be, right? Uh-huh. So a lot of times people will say, okay, the industry standard is Pro Tools. It is in some cases. Uh, especially in like talk radio. But also, you know, people are now using like things like Reaper and Audition. And then some companies don't really mind if the podcast has the exact specifics of a Pro Tools finish in terms of the mixing and mastering. They just want it to sound good and they want it to be similar to such and such a podcast. If you can achieve that using a different digital audio workstation yeah, and they're happy with the podcast as is because they're creating like branded content that's going to live on their website and they don't necessarily need to draw on advertisers, yep. you can use whatever DAW you want. But if you're in a huge enterprise and this podcast production is going to travel through many hands, maybe PR, maybe the person who they're interviewing that's like, top level, um, maybe their secretary or something like that. That's where I think a, something like Descript is a great tool because they can just focus on uh-huh. the text and make sure that the terminology and everything that's legal is correct. And then the rest of the people can do their work in terms of audio because each session can be exported as a transcript, as a video, if you're doing video recording or as audio. Gotcha. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense to me. It seems like it's a pretty consistent set of trade-offs across the board, you know. And I also think that for me, what I found, I understand now why a lot of journalists use Hindenburg. And the reason for that is because within Hindenburg, you can basically do all the edits that you need for your podcast. But in terms of like getting perfect mixing and mastering, you may want to then hand that off to someone else if you're doing, let's say, a news piece for, let's say, like an All Things Considered or like The Daily, right? Because you can export mm-hmm. your session from Hindenburg into an, it's called like an AFF file, and that can be opened in Pro Tools. Right, Jude? Yeah, I would agree. Any software that you're using in terms of editing that speaks to another software is what a larger enterprise should be doing because it's going to change through so many hands. If that software is proprietary and can only be used by, let's say, like 2% of the company, or let's say even like 0.02% of the company, depending on the size, I feel like that's going to impede the production of that podcast. For sure. Mm -hmm. So like the shareability is like, you know, it's a big feature in that case. Mm -hmm. And then also the reason why we keep saying Riverside is because it has so many different ways of dealing with when people have bad microphones or a bad recording setup. And when you're in a large enterprise and you're booking interviews with people who are probably like, 
10 years senior than you and don't really care about <laughs> how they're going to be recorded. They just want to get their interview done and like sneak it into their schedule. It's almost like cheating when you use a service that will just make them sound better or as good as you can under their circumstances. Yeah. Uh-huh. Did we ever follow up with Riverside when it says when you can live stream, whether or not Facebook is included into that list? Because I know Facebook had stopped Vimeo users from doing live streaming at one point because they were trying to be the proprietary live stream. Yeah. So you can actually stream to Facebook using Riverside. Okay. Well, that's interesting. I mean, that's good because you can do it via YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, Twitch, LinkedIn. So, you know, Riverside plays well with all these. You can do this live call-in feature. It seems to be if you were going to be a larger enterprise, Riverside would be the one that might cover a lot of these bigger team questions or needs. Uh Yeah. And depending on the size of the company and their digital footprint, depending on how the Internet's going to respond to this company putting out a podcast, that's also going to change the budget and the types of tools that you're going to use. Yes. And I think the other reason to use a Riverside and probably also Zencaster pretty soon because they're kind of competing right now. So I wouldn't be surprised if Riverside stays up top in terms of expense. And then these other competitors such as Squadcast and Zencaster try to do a similar level program for slightly cheaper so that they can pick up the rest of the market. I do think that a big trend in podcasting is to have a video element as well. And so tools like Riverside that will one, correct audio, and then two, get you a pretty good image, help you easily create a video podcast, as they're called now, which are it's basically a podcast still. It's just with a video. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I do think that that makes sense to me as like an emerging feature that will only become more and more important as time goes on and is probably already like vital for a lot of people. Exactly. And especially because I actually used this the other day, I was explaining Instagram to a company who are hiring the consultancy that I work for to do Instagram. And so I made a video and then I realized that sometimes you say, um, sometimes you need to correct yourself. Sometimes you need to overdub. And I edited the whole thing into script and it was actually a really great sort of walk along. So being able to record audio and video and edit it in real time is an emerging market, not just in podcasting, but in doing business in general. Does that make sense? Sorry, can you repeat the question? So we've been talking about how video editing and podcasting are kind of like bleeding into the same world. So one of the things about Riverside being able to stream both onto all these different online platforms, but then also record quality video and audio means that it's going to be that much easier to make video and audio content in a one-stop shop. And then being able to edit that content in a one-stop shop is also super important. So programs like Descript, where all of those editing tools happen at the same time, do provide limitations because you you can't change the image when you adjust the audio. But if you can clean up a video so that you can make a clean presentation, it's actually going to save people a lot of time in terms of making content. And in the world we live in, where people are increasingly remote and increasingly need content where things are explained, but you can see them. Any tool that is doing video and audio and like textual editing is going to be at the forefront. And that's why, you know, things like Descript and Riverside are definitely doing the good work. Because time is precious. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) (laughs) That was me remembering fondly how time is a precious thing. (laughs) Well, so that, I feel like that's it, y'all. Yeah, I would say, I mean, that pretty much covers the long and short of it. Gabriel, this has been a really amazing adventure. For sure. Going through all these tools. So thank you for putting us on this odyssey. A hundred percent. And it's been a pleasure to work with you guys and learn about these tools too. 
I just wanted to say thank you to both of you. This has been so cool. It's been so cool to see how people are reacting to the podcast. And if we help one person on their podcast journey, I feel like our mission has been accomplished. Yes, the Holy Grail has been attained. <laughs> Based on the Reddit comments, we've definitely hit that. So congratulations. <laughs> you can definitely sleep well at night on that count. I'm definitely looking forward to a season two too. And we, we can get more into some like nitty gritties of the more esoteric tools and you know, <laughs> God forbid monetizing the podcast, but we'll see. Hey, no one's ever going to say no to money. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, y'all be safe, be well, protect yourselves. And we'll see you next time. Wait, what time is that? Tool tip time. Ah, that's right. Tool tip time. Cheers to that. Cheers.